It's Wednesday, September 12th, and this is The Daily Dive. Hurricane Florence continues to strengthen as over a million people are told to flee the East Coast. Florence is expected to make landfall on the Carolina coastline later this week and then may stall out over land, pounding the area with a potentially deadly storm surge, high winds, and dangerous inland flooding. Andrew Friedman, science editor for Axios and extreme weather expert, joins us for details on the huge storm and why it's so unique. Next, the economy continues to fire on all cylinders, and there are plenty of jobs to go around. It's so good right now, the number of available jobs exceeded the number of job seekers by more than 650,000. There are about 6.9 million available jobs. It's so good right now, people are quitting in record numbers too. Eric Marath, economics reporter for The Wall Street Journal, joins us to talk about the latest numbers and where all these job openings are. Finally, teens aren't the only ones experiencing FOMO, the fear of missing out when trolling around on social media. Parents are feeling it too and going into credit card debt because of it. Jill Cornfield, personal finance reporter for CNBC, joins us for more on why parents are also falling victim to the everyone else is doing it mentality on social media. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Wherever you are in North Carolina, get ready for Florence now. This is not a storm that you need to try and ride out. It is one of those storms that maybe once in a lifetime, even if you've ridden out storms before, don't bet your life on riding out a monster. Joining us now is Andrew Friedman, science editor at Axios and extreme weather expert. Let's talk about Hurricane Florence. It's on track for a direct and pretty dangerous strike. It's currently Category 4. They're saying it's going to get up to Category 5. What makes this storm so unusual? There's many things about it that make it unusual, actually. One aspect is its intensity for as far north as it is. If it makes landfall as a Category 4 or stronger storm north of the North Carolina-South Carolina border, it would be the strongest storm to do so on record. Typically, these hurricanes tend to weaken as they get this far north, usually because of atmospheric conditions or colder water temperatures. But the sea surface temperatures are actually three to four degrees Fahrenheit above average for this time of year where the storm is. So that's helping to fuel it. The size of the storm is larger than your average hurricane. So that is having the effect of putting more water in motion in the ocean, which is going to cause a large storm surge when this comes to the coast. And then it's unusual for what's about to happen at, over, inland, or near the coast. And I say that awkwardly because computer models continue to vacillate over whether this thing is going to slow to a crawl just inland or just off the coast or even on top of the coast of North Carolina. And that stalling aspect is going to create a really extended period of hurricane force winds for some, multiple high tide cycles with uh, storm surge flooding, and then also uh, the potential for what really I think is actually worrying, worrying meteorologists more, which is the inland rainfall threat. Yeah, officials in the area have ordered more than a million people to evacuate. They say, take this very seriously. You don't want anybody to get caught up in these um, hurricane force winds or even in this flooding. And that does seem to be one of the major concerns. And especially right there in the Carolinas, they have more of a shallower shelf in the ocean that allow a lot of water to build up. And a lot of experts are saying 
that that flooding is going to be pretty insane. Yeah, the coastal shelf plays a big important role in allowing these storms to build up. It's quite possible that there'll be a 15 to 20 foot storm surge riding on top of the background ocean level. And really any storm surge is more damaging now than it used to be because of sea level rise. But there are a lot of vulnerable areas in North and South Carolina, low-lying areas, barrier islands, places that are going to take a real serious beating from this. The concerning thing for me is looking at the latest computer models and seeing that there really is a lot of disagreement about what's going to happen around Friday, Saturday, Sunday timeframe in terms of whether the storm is going to push inland or uh, drift southwest towards South Carolina and Georgia. So people need to be prepared in multiple states for significant impacts. Right. A lot of the computer models are based off of the eye of the storm. So the ones that are predicting that it's going to hit right in between the Carolinas and everything, that's really where the eye is, but it still has far reaching effects to all sides of it. When people look and they see that cone of uncertainty, as it's called, Really, they, you should not be looking at this as a center point. We track where the center is going because that determines where you'll get the biggest surge and the, the strongest wind. But to give you an example, the hurricane hunters that are flying into the storm consistently keep noticing with every flight that the storm's diameter of hurricane force winds is expanding. So it used to have hurricane force winds that went out only 20 miles outside the eye. Now it's about 60 miles in all directions. You need to think of it as what it is, which is nature's largest and most powerful type of storm. What keeps growing the hurricanes? It's supposed to get stronger before it makes landfall. You know, hurricanes are they're remarkably fickle creatures. They're essentially heat engines that feed off of the warm ocean waters, convert that into water vapor, release the energy aloft, and get spinning. And what they like to have is warm ocean temperatures, light winds in the atmosphere, plenty of opportunity for them to vent air away because uh, they're sort of like chimneys sending all this heat up there that they need to get rid of. And they also need a very moist atmospheric environment. So this storm has all those conditions working in its favor. As it gets near the coast, it'll experience some cooler waters and some wind shear in the atmosphere that'll probably knock it down to a weaker Category 4 or possibly to a Category 3 before it makes landfall. But people should really remember that the storm surge that they're going to get is really based on the pre-landfall intensity. So if you have, uh, that happened with Katrina, by the way, I don't mean to conjure that example really, but one thing that happened was, you know, it had been a category five, it made landfall as a category three, but the surge in Mississippi and Alabama was actually consistent with a category four or five. So really what you're gonna see is, well, it may decrease to 120 mile an hour category three, the, the surge would still be matching with the storm of greater intensity. The remarkable thing with this one is that forecasters made the most bullish forecast for its intensification that the Hurricane Center has ever made in its history, and they were right. It's gonna be interesting to see how this develops. The Carolinas haven't experienced a hurricane this powerful before and you know it's expected to paralyze the area for days so at least days so we'll see how it all turns out andrew friedman science editor at axios extreme weather expert thank you very much for joining us thank you for having me so 
the latest data shows that you know there's now by over 650,000 more available jobs than there are people actively seeking for work. So, you know, it's a definitely a good market to be looking for a job. And so what we'll be looking for next is to see if that leads to uh, better wage growth and better paychecks for workers. Joining us now is Eric Marath, economics reporter for The Wall Street Journal. The economy is pumping on all cylinders, so much so that job openings have exceeded unemployed Americans and the amount of people quitting their jobs, presumably for better paying jobs, has increased also. What do we know about these latest economic numbers? The latest data shows that you know there's now by over 650,000 more available jobs than there are people actively seeking for work. So, you know, it's a definitely a good market to be looking for a job um, and, and more people are, are doing that. And so what we'll be looking for next is to see if that leads to, uh, you know, better wage growth and, and kind of a better, uh, you know, better paychecks for workers. And the quit rate, people are quitting their jobs as well. And it's long been used as an indicator of worker confidence, meaning I'm confident enough to leave this job because I'm going to get something better. That number's also increased. Yeah, it has. And so for a long time after the recession, that number was was unusually low. And a lot of economists viewed that as, hey, you know, I'm lucky I survived the layoffs maybe that came to my office or my factory. And, and I'm just going to kind of lay low and be happy with the job I have. Maybe the seniority helps me out. Now people are getting to be a little bit of risk takers and say, you know, I'll, I'll leave this job. And I think I'm pretty confident I can find another one quickly. And, and the data bears that out. The number of people who are unemployed for five weeks or less is really small. And what that means is if you, you either lose your job or, or you voluntarily leave your job, you're unemployed for less than a month and you're right back to getting a paycheck. So definitely good news for workers that are considering making a change. There's about 6.9 million jobs available right now. That's right. What sectors are most of these job openings available in? There's job openings pretty broadly uh, across a number of categories, although I will say there is somewhat of a concentration actually towards the lower end of the job market, things like restaurant jobs, some retail jobs. Um, those are areas where, as we're talking about, people are job hopping. And maybe you've had a, a retail job for a while and, and you think, well, actually, I'd like to you know, do something else, get something that might pay me $15 or $20 an hour. Well, now that job's available, so you might leave that retail or restaurant behind. And those are some of the places that are having the hardest time filling jobs, basically the lowest paying jobs. And then on the other end, of course, the high tech jobs, healthcare jobs, those are also hard to sell. As the job openings are increasing, you know, it's great news, but it's not all good news because it's hard. It's so hard for these employers to find workers. I think I've been seeing a lot of that there's just not enough qualified workers. That could be a big potential problem. Right. So if a company, you know, and I've heard from different businesses say, well, we'd like to open another location or a restaurant's doing real well. We'd like to open one across town, but we can't because we don't think we can hire 15 or 20 people that we need to do that job. But, you know, some businesses, they're starting to make a change. They're thinking about this differently. They're, they're no longer holding out for the perfect candidate. They're offering more job training. They're willing to look beyond if someone maybe, maybe they didn't finish college, but you know, they've got good career experience or, or maybe they've had something bad in the past, uh, even a criminal record or something like that. But they say, well, for this job, you know, we'd be willing to let them have the job and, and work with them a little bit if they have some of the other attributes that we're looking for. And a few years ago, you know, that some of that stuff was a no-go if you didn't have a college degree and people are a little more flexible now. And that's helping bring some people, I think, back into the labor market. In the short term, we're hoping that these job gains are going to last a long time, but people looking for jobs, should they 
just go out and apply for something or should they still try to get that degree or get that job training that they might need for a potential new job? Well, I guess I would say this is a good time to be choosy, you know, if you're out in the market for a job. Don't just settle for the first thing that, that you get offered or, or don't be afraid to ask. Say, hey, I like what you have an offer here, but I'd love to improve my skills. Would you be willing to help me go to school at night or help me get some additional training or match me with a, a mentor there and, and kind of make that so you have a job? Uh, people in Washington love to say, earn while you learn. That seems to be the buzzword now. Uh, get that job that will pay for you to get an education rather than paying for an education in order to get a job. One of the things that we're always interested in is the growth and the sustainability of small businesses. They're also in the same bracket where they're looking for a lot of people. They have a lot of job openings. And I think a bunch of small business owners saying, that finding qualified workers was their single most important business problem. Right. That seems to be uh, people are more worried about that than whether there'll be a recession or, or uh, you know, these trade disputes that we've been hearing about. It's just finding it's finding the qualified workers. You know, I think that, that has to come with a caveat, though, finding the qualified workers at the right price. You know, some of these businesses, they tell me that they're reluctant to pay too much or to offer, you know, too big of a, a salary bump. And, and that might be what has to happen to get workers um, in the door or you know, we've also heard the the other that, you know, some of these are family run businesses and they're maybe asking the kids or asking uh, their brother to do a little bit more work because they're not able to find, you know, that, that outside employee to take the job. Everybody's really happy right now. Everything's going well. People are going for it. And I don't want to be a naysayer, but everybody's always concerned when the drop comes, when something's going to go wrong. What's that going to look like? <laughs> That's a great question. I mean, I wish... I wish I knew the exact answer, but, you know, we're looking at, you know, where is there some pockets of, of instability? Um, you know, we are seeing inflation rise and, and in, you know, in the past, uh, that's maybe caused a reaction from the, the Federal Reserve and, and that, that could be a concern. You know, we see some concerns about the housing market. It's really hard to say when the other shoe will drop and what will happen, but every expansion does eventually come to an end. And this one's been a historically long expansion. So some economists might argue we're on borrowed time. Right. Well, let's hope it goes on as long as possible possible. Eric Morath, economics reporter for the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Sure. Happy to be back. What are some of the top things that people are going into debt over? Definitely designer clothes were way up there. Vacations were another thing. Concerts, musicals, theater tickets organic food with something that is expensive. Joining us now is Jill Cornfield, personal finance reporter for CNBC. We're going to be talking about spending online and parents spending specifically. It's not just kids that want the latest this and that. Parents are wanting it for their kids themselves. There's this big FOMO thing, fear of missing out, that plays into it. Parents are on social media all the time and they want to buy that latest thing, whether it be for their kids but the dangerous thing is, is that might be going into debt over it. What do we know about this? Well, I think fear of missing out is just a really basic part of human nature. It's, it's a natural part of being a parent. You see something really cute. You see some other child looking wonderful in it or enjoying it if it's a toy. And you want to have that thing for your kid. I can see the reasons for this. Credit Karma asked a lot of parents what they're spending their money on. What are they seeing online that they want to spend on? What are some of the top things that people are going into debt over? Definitely designer clothes were way up there, and it's very hard to resist. Vacations were another thing. Concerts, musicals, theater tickets, organic food was something that is expensive. <laughs> that was kind of a funny one because they're talking about non-essential items, things that mm -hmm. you don't necessarily need for survival. And it's just funny that organic foods, people want to remain healthy, but you don't necessarily need an organic food to stay healthy. So that was kind of a funny one in there. It's a 
personal one, but you know, right. side by side in a supermarket, you can see organic carrots are you know X per pound, and then the traditional ones are usually half the price. Private school is another one that was in here that, and, and I know that could get very expensive. My mom was a, a single mom when we were growing up, and mm-hmm. she sent both my sister to. Uh, we went to Catholic school, but still, you know, it, it's a, an extra cost. Definitely, that is one, and I think it's something people should consider. Do you want to spend the money on school when your kids are younger, when you know that in a little less than twenty years you're going to want that money for college tuition? Although the Catholic schools tend to be among the less expensive alternatives, right? So that's that can be a great choice for people. And we mentioned the FOMO, the fear of missing out. Why else? Are are these parents overspending on their kids? I think they're not taking the long view. One of the uh, financial planners I spoke to said that you have to look at a few main areas of spending when you have kids, and you always have to keep those bigger goals in mind. I mean, there's always going to be trade-offs. Do you want to have summer camp when they're a little older rather than a bunch of smaller lessons and short classes when they're very little? Right, and, and people increasingly have no emergency savings. I've seen studies where people, sometimes people have less than $500 in case an emergency happens or something like that. And, and, you know, as a parent, you want to provide the best things for your kids. So what are the costs that we should be looking out for? You know, in some ways, having kids and planning for them is no different from anything else. I mean, you want to have some money for right now. You want to have some money set aside in case of an emergency expense that comes up. And then you want to have money for those bigger future goals, whether it's a down payment on a house or for kids that generally use college tuition. So everything really starts with a budget. How much do you have? How much can you afford to spend? And how much do you need to be saving? And these monthly recurring costs are always a pain. Uh, You know, you want to have your Netflixes and your HBOs and Disney channels and all your cable and all that stuff. And those are the ones that they can rack up pretty quick. Yeah, they totally add up. So again, that can be an area where you you look at your recurring expenses, cell phone bills, your streaming services, and you add them up and you think, well, is there something I can live without? And there's also calling your cable company and saying, I want to cancel, and then they'll give you back that introductory that's, rate or something like that. That's a great tactic, absolutely. What else should parents be looking for, especially when you're you're going through all the social media, and as we said, you're seeing other parents spending all this stuff. Obviously, maybe you're not in the same financial situation, but what else can we look mm-hmm. out for to help with this stuff? One thing you mentioned about maybe you're not in the same financial situation, maybe you are, but they're actually making foolish choices. People have pointed out to me, in fact, there was a millennial advisor who said she sees the credit card bills from her clients, so she knows that people are actually spending money they don't have. So don't always be so quick to assume that when somebody is showing off a great vacation or lots of fancy clothes, that they actually have the salaries and the income to back that up. When should we be using a credit card then? Because I know, you know, a lot of people want to get their credit scores up and things like Mm -hmm. that. And sometimes you can fall into these traps of just Mm -hmm. using your credit card. Should we really just not be using the credit card as much as we can? No, I think people have to use credit cards responsibly. I think you have to plan how you're going to use them. Like for take vacations, a really good way that you can have a good family vacation is to budget for it at the beginning of the year. Then you set aside the money every month. You put the money aside, like a, you know, a, a quarter of it or a sixth of it. You set that money in a high-interest account, so it's there ready to pay off the credit card bills after you put the trip on your credit card. And the other thing about credit cards is if you want to use a rewards card, you need about five months to sign up, get the bonus award, and then build up your points so you can use it for travel. So credit cards are a great tool. And in the meantime, don't be jealous of other people's social media because that FOMO is going to kill you and put you in a debt. Absolutely. (laughs) Jill Cornfield, personal finance reporter for CNBC. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much, Oscar. All right. That's it for today. 
Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive.